It is Monday, February 19th, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, the changing landscape of name, image, and likeness deals for student athletes at the University of Arkansas. There's been a slowdown in the, you know, the, the one Arkansas necessarily didn't have like a subscription model. Um, they had fundraisers to go out and, and raise funds for it, but this new model, they're uh, hoping to just get a lot more of the of the fans involved and uh, and and excited about that model. Plus, Ed Bethune was a Republican Arkansas congressman long before the GOP controlled the state. At the time that I filed for office, get this, there was not a single elected Republican official at any level in the second congressional district. That's coming up next, right after this hour's news from NPR. The University of Arkansas Department of Political Science offers political science and public administration and nonprofit studies graduate programs. Both programs train the next generation of local, state, national, and global leaders in the public, nonprofit, and private sectors. Applications for fall 2024 and graduate assistantships are available for qualified applicants. PLSC.UARC.EDU for more information. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, February 19th, 2024. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Later on our show today, a trip back in the archives with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. We hear about how former Arkansas Republican Congressman Ed Bethune served in Congress when most Arkansas voters were Democrats. That's in our second half hour. First today, college athletics has undergone major changes recently, ranging from monetization to new transfer rules. The University of Arkansas is working to keep up with the rest of the NCAA as it finds its footing in this new landscape. Ozarks at Large's Josh Marvin has more. New year, new Razorbacks. On January 1st, longtime Arkansas quarterback K.J. Jefferson announced he was transferring to the University of Central Florida. Moves from Jefferson and several other prominent football players were made possible in part from a new development in college athletics called the Transfer Portal. Byron Jenkins is the CEO of Arkansas Athlete Connections, which helps develop high school and collegiate athletes' brands. He's been around student athletics for a long time. Started that in 1997. And that's all I've ever done. Byron says the way transfers used to work is that a student had to sit out a year and was unable to play. So when you open up the transfer portal and say everybody's able to transfer one time, I mean, it changes the whole game. Matt Jones, a veteran Arkansas sports writer who has covered Razorback athletics for upwards of 19 years, also seems to agree with Byron on the transfer portal. Transfer from one school to another without having to sit out a year, that was a a huge game changer. The transfer portal, introduced in 2018, goes hand in hand with the NCAA's new name, image, and likeness system, more commonly referred to as the NIL. The NIL came about as the result of a unanimous 2021 Supreme Court ruling that college athletes may be compensated for use of their name, image, and likeness ranging from commercials to brand deals to social media partnerships. 
Since the ruling, the NIL has exploded. Matt says University of Arkansas Athletic Director Hunter Juracek told the press that the push was to help the university get their arms around these NIL collectives. Uh, Because the collectives, they're different from school to school. And that's because colleges and universities still can't directly pay athletes. So NIL collectives are private third-party companies that handle the bulk of the financial NIL lifting. They arrange brand deals and set contracts for players. Justin Johnson, the director of student-athlete brand development at the University of Arkansas, says a lot of people misunderstand the NIL space. We're not associated with any uh, with any of the collectives as far as our day-to-day. Matt describes these collectives as an unforeseen byproduct of the NIL Supreme Court ruling. NIL is meant to give a player the chance to go out and make money through advertisements to profit off of his his uh, image, his popularity or her popularity. And what happened was that many of these schools began to pool their resources. So instead of the local Chevy dealership going out and, and saying, hey, QB1, come over here and we'll give you X number of dollars to you know, do some promotional work for us, everybody locally started pooling their money into these collectives. Because of the recency of the Supreme Court ruling, Every school's NIL situation looks a little different. Matt says every NIL is set up in its own unique way. Some are set up as 501c3s that are nonprofits. Some are not set up in that way. Justin claims the University of Arkansas is the first institution to hire a senior associate athletic director just to oversee NIL. Some have followed that. Um, some have, uh, some, like I mentioned, kept it in compliance and some kind of just outsourced to uh, to different groups. Uh, Some smaller schools might just use a company to outsource all that too. Not only is it fairly new, uh, it seems like it's changing uh, pretty rapidly also. In November, Arkansas Athletics announced that they were launching Arkansas Edge, which replaces the previous NIL collective called One Arkansas. Arkansas Edge is under the national parent company Blueprint Sports, which also manages collectives for schools like Kansas, Tennessee, Penn State, and Arizona. Why? Well, when I asked, the answers seemed pretty clear. The One Arkansas program just was not performing up to the the level they wanted it to. Justin says that in the first year of One Arkansas, lots of companies wanted to participate. But then there's been a slowdown in the, you know, the, the One Arkansas necessarily, necessarily didn't have like a subscription model. Um, they had fundraisers to go out and, and raise funds for it. But this new model, they're uh, hoping to just get a lot more of the of the fans involved and uh, and and excited about that model. Um, it, it's just going to be sustainable uh, in the long run. Even as the new Arkansas Edge Collective, recently naming Chris Bauer as its executive director, finds its footing, nothing is certain. The only constant appears to be change. Byron says that the new emphasis on athlete branding has also changed the recruiting process. Now, college coaches believe they wanted to feel the heartbeat of a kid, sit down and talk to kids, and now it's all social media driven. In 2015, I started Arkansas Basketball Rankings, and once we got that database up, once we started that Twitter account, 
Arkansas athletes start getting a whole lot more exposure. Justin Johnson agrees. It's constantly changing. Um, honestly, it could look totally different in even a couple years from now as far as the revenue uh, sharing goes with student-athletes. Matt Jones says people might be concerned that Arkansas will struggle to keep up with other schools when it comes to NIL. Does Arkansas stack up with other universities? I talked to Hunter Juracek, the AD at Arkansas, back in November. And I asked him, you know, where do you stack up in NIL? His assumption at that time was that probably the teams that have the largest operating budgets are also the teams that have the largest NIL budgets. Arkansas, I think, is 11th out of 14 teams. When Oklahoma and Texas come in uh, to the league later this year, Arkansas would become 13 out of 16 teams in terms of uh, you know where their operating budget uh, stands. But I don't think Arkansas stands up to, to other teams. I just I don't think they do. I think some of it has to do with uh, the size of your population base, the size of your alumni base, um, the money that is available within your state. I mean, Arkansas is a, a very poor state compared to other states, uh, even in the in the Southeastern Conference footprint. And Byron Jenkins says the concern trickles down to high school students looking to commit to a college. It's really different because when NIL first passed, I'm working with a big-time basketball player, and I ask his dad, are y'all really going to stay in Arkansas? High school students in Arkansas can now take advantage of NIL deals thanks to new legislation. The new law allows students who have committed to an Arkansas university to begin accepting NIL deals in high school. Matthew Shepard is the Speaker of the House for the Arkansas State Legislature, and he says there were concerns that colleges might be losing out on future student-athletes. In order to be competitive, there have to be NIL opportunities. In a perfect world, I wish that we didn't have to deal with the NIL, but the fact of the matter is that the reality within which we deal, it's unfortunately becoming a, uh, maybe an issue at the high school level. Even with state leaders like Shepard working with university leaders like Juracek, some worry it'll take far more to attract and retain talent in Arkansas athletics. Byron is very straightforward with his prediction. I see the top 50, 60 major college programs paying players, and, and I don't see Arkansas in that number. And I'm going to raise it back to heart. You know, I see Arkansas in that second tier. College has something that, you know, uh, even pro football or pro basketball don't have. In pro sports, they have a salary cap. And that's why you're having problems recruiting and retaining players now, because we don't have the money. Casual fans might incorrectly assume that these student-athletes are only transferring for the money. But Byron says some athletes are actually turning down the money. And most athletes aren't that concerned about the money. You know, so their focus is to get to the NBA and not necessarily uh, NIL. You hear a lot of people, I hear a lot of parents talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is... Uh, the NFL, not NIL. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Josh Marvin. We go back to the Pryor Center for Archives today and learn more about Ed Bethune. At the time that I filed for office, get this, there was not a single elected Republican official at any level in the 2nd Congressional District. Not one. Not a constable, not a constable, not a sheriff. Not a judge, not a clerk, nothing. No no Republicans anywhere in sight. Abethune was an Arkansas Republican long before the state went completely red. 
his career in and out of politics later today on Ozarks at Large. This month's Short Talks from the Hill features William Schreckheis, professor and chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Arkansas. Schreckheis's research addresses American politics, public policy, law, administrative law, and public administration. In the podcast, he discusses a recent study on civility, gridlock, polarization, and productivity in state legislators. While he suspected there was a link, Schreckheis and his co-authors, including U of A colleague Eric Button, were surprised by the strength of the link. Even when you take into account the extent of party polarization, the population size of the state, the competitiveness of the political parties, all these other things, the degree to which the state lobbyists rate the legislature as being civil is the best predictor of how many bills that legislature passed and whether or not they passed that budget on time and whether or not they passed some kind of important legislation. You can listen to Shrek Heiss wherever you get your podcasts or by going to arkansasresearch.uark.edu, the home of research and economic development news at the University of Arkansas. You can also find Short Talks from the Hill online at kuaf.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Today is not just the Federal President's Day holiday, but also Daisy Gatson Bates Day in Arkansas. Commemoration honors a leading figure in the work to desegregate Arkansas. Bates served as a mentor and guide for the Little Rock Nine as Arkansas Governor Orville Faubus attempted to keep the black students out of Little Rock Central High School. Bates died in 1999 and was posthumously awarded the Medal of Freedom that year. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders issued a proclamation reconfirming the third Monday in February as a holiday in her honor. A statue of Bates will be placed in Statuary Hall in the United States Capitol as one of the two statues representing Arkansas. The deadline for enrollment for free career training classes at the Fayetteville Public Library is approaching. The 12-week classes in paraprofessional training, pharmacy tech, and resume creation will take place during weekday afternoons. The classes are offered by the Fayetteville Adult Career Training Center, operated by Fayetteville Public Schools. Susanna Sayre, an instructor with the center, says the paraprofessional training courses will help students prepare for the praxis test. So they can be paraprofessionals in schools. So uh, they prepare them for this exam. Uh, They also go over um, classroom management and just skills that they would need in the classroom. And it is a particular focus on working with our special needs populations. Sayre says the pharmacy tech courses also serve as prep for an exam. The national certification exam for pharmacy tech. So currently there are um, pharmacy tech folks that are already in the industry, but they want to take this exam, uh, which would better their prospects, uh, pay raises, uh, leadership positions in their jobs, or even potentiality to work in a hospital environment. The paraprofessional classes will meet from 1 to 4 at the Fayetteville Public Library on Tuesdays. The pharmacy classes will meet at the same time on Wednesdays. A class dedicated to resumes and job searches will be offered on Thursday afternoons. Deadline to enroll for the free classes is Friday. More information about the classes is available by calling 444-3041 or sending an email to adult 
ed at faiar.net. Talk Business and Politics reports the University of Arkansas Fort Smith may move toward eliminating some academic majors. An email from Chancellor Dr. Teresa Riley to faculty and students suggests the elimination of five programs could save the school $500,000 annually. The cuts would include the Bachelor of Arts degrees for political science, theater, and Spanish, though minors in each of the disciplines would remain. The recommendation for the cuts would be based on poor graduation rates and declining enrollment, Talk Business reports. In the email, Chancellor Riley writes, The savings generated by the cuts is necessary as UAFS grapples with the same types of budget shortfalls facing many public universities. Recommendations for the cuts are expected to be formally made to the University Board of Trustees next month. An accomplished filmmaker will be the keynote speaker for this month's Arkansas Governor's Conference on Tourism. Jeff Nichols, a Little Rock native, will deliver the opening remarks at the conference in Jonesboro on February 25th. Nichols' movies include Mud with Matthew McConaughey and Michael Shannon. Filmed in Arkansas, the movie was given the Robert Altman Award at the 2013 Independent Spirit Awards. The number three ranked Razorbacks baseball squad opened their season this weekend against James Madison University. The weekend started strong with the Hogs winning 6-4 Friday afternoon and a commanding 15-5 win on Saturday. The Hogs dropped Sunday's game 7-3. Next weekend, the Razorbacks head to Arlington, Texas to participate in the Kubota College Baseball Series where they'll face Oregon State, Oklahoma State, and Michigan. And the Little Rock Trojans baseball season also opened this weekend, dropping two out of three to Wichita State. The Trojans host Memphis on Tuesday at Gary Hogan Field and continue their home stretch with a three-game series with Illinois State this Friday. This is Ozarks at Large. At the time that I filed for office, get this, there was not a single elected Republican official at any level in the 2nd Congressional District. This is Ozarks at Large. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. We just, Hi, Kyle. Hello, Randy. We just heard what we're going to be talking about this week for archives. What do we hear? Well, that was Ed Bethune, almost lone Republican in the state, elected official in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. And, you know, what a difference a few decades can make. We're... Completely we're, Republican. We're all red now. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Ed Bethune today. Just a little background on Bethune. He was born and raised in Pocahontas. Northeast Arkansas. That's right. And grew up there except for one year uh, he attended Central High School in Little Rock, but graduated from Pocahontas and then came up here to the UA in Fayetteville Before he even got his undergraduate degree, he spent four years in the Marines. Mm -hmm. And then he came back, got his degree, and then went to law school, got his law degree. Then, this was really interesting, he spent four years as an FBI agent, a special agent. And he was up around the Chicago area and the New Jersey area doing a lot of gang-type law enforcement Around there. So he came back home and was a prosecuting attorney uh, in Searcy, which was pretty much his home. 
and uh, then went into private practice. And his name first really comes up in the archives when he was involved with, I guess in the media was a high-profile case. There was a well-known doctor in Searcy named Porter Rogers, and he was accused of murdering his wife. And he actually was tried and convicted, but KTV covered it extensively. And here's one of the earliest mentions of uh, Ed Bethune in our archives. And this is uh, a quick interview Steve Barnes got with him as he was coming out of the courtroom after the verdict. Ed, were you surprised by the verdict? Well, uh, I had hoped for something less than that. I'd be candid with you about that. Uh, anytime you work on a case for as long as I've worked on this one, uh, you always try to be optimistic and uh, look for something a little better than that. However, uh, it was satisfying to me the jury could easily see that this was not a capital felony murder case. His law partner had been involved in Republican politics, the Republican Party. He was a chair and uh, got him interested. He dabbled a little bit. In 72, he ran for state attorney general unsuccessfully, but then in 78 decided to run for Congress, like we talked about. So um, he ran against a state legislator from Little Rock named Doug Brandon. Well, here's a debate that uh, KATV put on in 78. Our first guest is Ed Bethune, the Republican nominee for Congress in Arkansas 2nd District. And Mr. Bethune, we would begin by asking you why you believe the formula that you have outlined during the campaign is the best to uh, remedy the American economy. Steve, I think that we need to change the mindset that has obsessed uh, the Congress now for some 40 years. That being? Uh, we need to break away from the economic policy that uh, has been leading the country to ruin. And I've been talking very much about restoring incentive uh, in the country. And I've been talking about getting the heavy hand of regulation off of the private enterprise system, cutting out waste in government, and balancing the budget uh, to stop inflation. Uh, those are the things I think that are the keys uh, to getting this country going again. And he spent three terms in the House. And during that time, uh, you know, during his campaign, he talked a lot about budgets and spending and taxes. And so he served on the budget, banking, and small business committees. He would often visit home, like uh, most congressmen and senators do, to sort of, you know, report updates to the constituents. But, you know, the news stations would always cover uh, the Arkansas delegation when they come to town. So here's an early report uh, from 82 from KETV's Greg Hurst. The congressman said most everyone agreed on the need to control spending, but in many cases, Bethune said the nation's lawmakers don't always have all of the answers. One thing that I've learned as a member of the budget committee is that the budget does not drive the economy or influence the economy near so much as the economy itself influence the, influences the budget and the making of the budget. Bethune illustrated his point and said, a 1% rise in unemployment adds 20 to $25 billion to the deficit. A 1% jump in interest rates will add $2 billion. So you can see those of us who sit on the budget committee and who are trying to make these numbers come out, 
are hostage to the economy because the economy drives those numbers. During this time, KTV would uh, spend the money to conduct scientific surveys and political polls. Uh, we called it the Arkansas Poll, which we gave the name to the university. Janine uh, Perry, Janine has, Perry yeah. has uh, ushered that on for KATV. But uh, back in that day, we would report on all of the races. And here's an edited version of the congressional races. And here's Steve Barnes. All four incumbent United States representatives from Arkansas have opposition this year, and we wanted to know how their campaigns were progressing. So we went to the field. We talked to 621 likely voters and that, uh, in a telephone survey, and that gives us a confidence level, a margin of error, or plus or minus 4%. And it was a survey conducted over a two-day period ending May 14th. In the second district, incumbent Ed Bethune with 88%, Charles George, 11.7%. Uh, we're hearing archives, of course, but you also talked to Congressman Bethune? Yes, yes. He was very kind to talk to me. We spent uh, some time on the phone, and uh, we've talked about some of the things, uh, the budgets and, and that sort of thing that, that he accomplished in Congress, but I asked him to talk about a few of the other things, and uh, here they are. If you're looking at my record there, you'll know that I was also instrumental in getting the wilderness bill passed that was my bill that i introduced um and got passed in the house and then dale, dale bumpers joined in and uh, and david too in the senate and we got it through and i got reagan to sign it i also blocked the effort to uh dam up the kedron creek in con in uh, faulkner county uh kedron creek you know, Woolly Hollow Park mm -hmm. and all that. That's uh, that's a great little stream to canoe on. Uh, not as good as Buffalo, but it's good. And uh, so I, I blocked that. That was one of my first acts when I got to Congress. So I did that. And then you may remember the uh, other thing I did that was fairly notorious is that for several years in a row, I combined with the Democrats in Congress to block the new age of chemical weapons. Um, they were trying to make uh, nerve gas, and they wanted to spend a ton of money to do it, and I just, uh, I was opposed to it. Nerve gas. Yeah, I mean, you're talking yeah. uh, NCTR, National Center for Toxicological, it's hard to say, yeah, research around Pine Bluff. And so he felt strongly enough about it that um, it might affect uh, his district. Mm -hmm. But here, here's part of his reasoning that uh, he spoke out on the House floor. Let's don't start a, a new age of chemical weapons, which is going to frighten the bejeebers out of our allies all across Western Europe. They don't want it. They don't want us to deploy it there. We've got some deployed there of what we've got already. So why stir up that hornet's nest, as the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee has said? Three terms in the House, elected from central Arkansas, usually a Democratic district. Then he decides not to go for the House and go for the Senate. Up against a very, very popular Democrat incumbent. David Pryor. Da David Pryor, yeah. that's correct. 
So um, I found in the archives the day of his announcement, and he, of course, made it in Searcy. Uh, and this is in 1984, and the reporter here is Taylor Carr. He's always had conservative support here at Searcy. This is the nowhere he came from on the way to Congress six years ago. Now he wants to be a senator, and Ed Bethune's thinking is still the same. Less spending, less taxation, and in his words, growth, ideas, and change. Change, change, and more change through a free enterprise system with less control of our lives from far away Washington. We did it before, and we can do it again. And with that belief... I would have been in college at this time. I don't remember a lot of specifics from this race. Um, it was a tough race. Mm-hmm. Um, even David Pryor, after... He once said, I wouldn't want to do that again. Hmm. Uh, he didn't want to have to face an opponent like Bethune again. And uh, they did um, meet during that race for a debate. Uh, there, were, there were some issues about how much to debate, and Bethune actually uh, wanted to debate more, and uh, David Pryor didn't. But here's the one debate that they had. It was in northwest Arkansas, and uh, KETV's Philip Bruce covered it. The debate was scheduled after Pryor and Bethune accepted an offer of airtime from KFSM-TV. The event was telecast live on the 6 o'clock news and was seen by about 100,000 people. And it took no time for the dialogue to become heated. Bethune attacked Pryor's voting record, as he has before, calling the senator a liberal who votes with Teddy Kennedy and Dale Bumpers on most issues. I said on the first day that I started talking about running for the United States Senate, if the people out there are looking for a warm, personable, friendly individual, then they ought to re-elect my good friend David Pryor because uh, he's as good a guy as I know. But if you're concerned about the policies that are going to affect your children and your children's children in this country, you better have another look at the record. Pryor responded by questioning Bethune's motives for running. The real reason that Ed got into this race, you know it, Ed, I know it, is that the National Republican Party said they could buy this seat for you. Pryor indicated that several Republicans, including the vice president, had already campaigned in Arkansas on Bethune's behalf. The congressman said that wasn't an issue. But Pryor said he had yet to hear Bethune talk issues and outline what he would favor or oppose if elected. Later, when it was all over, the two met briefly with reporters. Bethune said he thought the debate had been a good idea and tried to convince Pryor to agree to more, but the senator remained uncommitted. Well, we don't think we ought to go over to Jonesboro, El Dorado, Texacana, and give them a shot at the uh, first-hand well, observation. Well, we may, we may make them tired of us before it begins. Well, Let's don't do that. But in the end, David Pryor wins the Senate seat. That's right, and this is uh, part of his concession speech. Ed Bethune's. Yes, on uh, election night. So the campaign is over, but the cause goes on. The cause of two-party politics, young people working and working for new ideas, ideas that are sound. The object, of course, is always to win, but the reward is to fight for your cause, and this we have done. Was that the end of his political? Well, he he served as chair of the Republican Party after that and was approached several times by the Republican Party to run. Um, and it was usually for governor. But Bethune had, you know, had enough and didn't want to seek 
political office again. After Congress, Bethune joined a high-profile Washington law firm, and during that time, few of his cases uh, included um, representing successfully, by the way, uh, House Speaker Newt Gingrich and Majority Leader Tom DeLay and some others who were charged with ethics violations. I asked him about leaving political office. But, you know, in my heart, um, I just, I just, the political life didn't work for me. Uh, I, I wasn't, well, I might have been good <clears throat> at making speeches and that sort of thing. Uh, it was just, I was always uncomfortable with the whole political thing and didn't, didn't see it as a lifelong career for me. But there's, here's another funny little tidbit. Um, about how small Arkansas is. But being a Channel 7 person, I also remember Ed Bethune's mother, Delta. Um, Delta hear, Bethune. Yes. That's a you, great name. You, oh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a great well, name. Well, it got her on TV. Okay. But what really got her on TV was her garden. You know, you hear about weather gardens and, you know, on oh, the sure. weather casts and things. Some stations, KTHV, has built one mm-hmm. outside their building. But the very first one was in Delta Bethune's backyard. And it became a weather garden because we went live from there. Ned Permy went live so, uh, every uh, Wednesday. So are the tomatoes coming up or is it now the time for yeah, cucumbers? Yeah, that sort of we, thing. We the, do, this drought is hurting your plants? That yes, sort of thing? I see. And got the you know sage advice from Delta Bethune, and she would also cook some interesting things. We used to go over to her house all the time and sample her things. But here's Vic Shadler with a little bit uh, where he chats with Delta about her garden and then some of the things she makes. The green tomatoes are ripe and overflowing in the weather garden this month. And you know Delta, she'll find a way to use anything that grows in the garden. Green tomato cake. And they are delicious. Yeah. And this time of the year, you really have too many green tomatoes, and that's why you want to gather and make, make a cake, a chocolate cake. And green tomatoes aren't the only fresh item on the Weather Garden menu. The late green beans are just coming in, and so are the green peppers. We have these huge bell peppers, and, uh, and the bell peppers fritters. And they really do make wonderful fritters. In fact, you should know you've been trying them. Um, I did ask him about his mother, and he had kind of a funny story. You know, all the time I was in Congress, people would ask my mother, are you Ed Bethune's mother? And she'd say, yes, proudly. Well, after I got out of Congress, then I would go around and people would say to me, are you Delta Bethune's son? What is fascinating about Bethune is that he really was a Republican before his time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I asked him about the two-party system and, you know, what it was like then and what it's like today. And he sort of summed things up and, and started back at his first race in 78. People wanted a two-party system, and that was a theme that I hammered on forever from you know dawn to dusk every day i'd hammer on we need two parties two competition good in sports and all that 
it's good in politics. People bought it, and uh, that was that. So off we went to Washington. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. Put Pryor Center into a search engine and then just have fun, you know, to your heart's content. (laughs) We'll do this again next week, Randy. You bet. This is Ozarks at Large. Tis the season for the Tiny Desk Contest. Every year, NPR asks artists from around the country to submit a video of them playing in front of, well, a desk. One video, one artist or band is chosen from thousands to perform their own Tiny Desk Concert and go on tour with NPR Music. Deadline for submissions, end of day Wednesday. Last year, Ozarks at Large's Sophia Norani spoke with local band Common Roots about why they chose to submit an entry to the Tiny Desk Contest. I'm Jeremy Morris. And I'm Lacey Hampton. And we are the two members of Common Roots. We're both singer-songwriters, so uh, we both kind of bring our own individual influences into the mix with the different songs that we write. I would say other uh, duo groups that focus heavily on, you know, duo harmonies um, have definitely influenced us. Uh, One particular one would be the Civil Wars. Uh, They definitely have those like tight knit harmonies and uh and also kind of trading off uh lead vocals that we engage in a lot so they're definitely one big influence and also that rustic acoustic americana style of theirs is kind of what we're going for as well yeah what prompted you guys to enter the tiny desk contest um, well, me, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lacey was the one that saw it and, uh, you know, she, she definitely wanted to enter. I, I, you know, didn't really know anything about it up until she pointed it out to me. But. Yeah. So we had already done some recording and, um, had some songs that we were wanting to release. So it kind of served as a dual purpose. We were able to release the song and, uh, and make a video and have a desk behind us. So it was pretty pretty seamless to make it happen and i've definitely seen a lot of the tiny desk concerts in the past and just have really enjoyed the vibe of them i recently saw one with imogen heap where she was playing this instrument where she like used her hands and positioning connected to a computer to make the different tones that she was singing with it's just a lot of really unique things come out of tiny desk i think so do you want to talk a little bit more about the song that you chose for your entry and the story behind it why you picked that one in particular was it just because you were releasing it at the time and it was convenient or well um we we've been very heavily into writing for the past few years um we've been trying to record anything that we can um, but Can't Let Go, which is the song that we submitted to the Tiny Desk Contest, was really kind of the first Common Roots song that um, that really was just this group. You know, we, we've been in music groups in the past with, you know, various instruments and various members, um, but this is kind of us coming back to our... A little bit on the nose, but coming back to our roots. <laughs> um, and so we kind of became this group after I had my first kid. Lacey had her first kid about three or four months later. And so it was kind of really just like a stripping down of our music into, okay, what is something that we can continue to do that's sustainable and something that just really gets back to what 
we want to create. And uh, that was Common Roots. And Can't Let Go was the first real song that came out of that project. And the song is uh, mostly just kind of about couples that basically lose the ability to communicate with each other, whether it's uh, someone that thinks that they're maybe falling out of the relationship or someone that is still committed to the relationship but won't express the issues, you know, that are underlying it. You know, one of the big moments of the song, um, throughout the song, it's saying, I can't let go of you now that I want to. And then at the very end of the song, it says, well, I can't let go of you now that I have to. And it's kind of about saying what needs to be said before you can't anymore, before it does no good. And just kind of communication and relationships being that thing that really needs to be solid. So tell me a little bit about your connection to the state of Arkansas. Are you guys both native to the area? or We, um, Lacey was born in, in Little Rock. Little Rock. Um, and lived there very, very, brie- very briefly <laughs> as a baby. Uh, so uh, she doesn't remember um, living there when she was very little. And we lived in, I was born in Texas, um, but we moved to Arkansas when I was seven and Lacey would have been 10. Uh, we graduated from Arkansas high schools. I went to Springdale High School and Jeremy graduated from Bentonville High School, graduated from U of A. People ask us where we're from, and I just say Northwest Arkansas in general, yeah. <laughs> just because it's all it's all kind of one thing, and it's becoming more and more one thing every single day. Each has its own flair, but it's just there's no there's no borders anymore, really. It's just everything is Northwest Arkansas now. In addition to submitting to the national contest, Common Roots was also a headliner for the Arkansas Tiny Desk, which took place in October of 2023. The Arkansas Tiny Desk, hosted by NPR member stations across Arkansas, chose three entries from the state to perform live at the hall in Little Rock. Again, the deadline for submissions for the National Tiny Desk Contest closes on Wednesday night. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Sophia Narani. This is Ozarks at Large. We're starting another week. Jasper Logan, Community Outreach Manager? Community engagement. In community engagement. But I do some outreach. Well, outreach leads to engagement, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you come on Mondays and give us a few ideas of how we can engage with other people in our community. Yes. Here is our weekly update of what is going on in the Ozarks this week. Found at the KUF Community Calendar. That is correct. Uh, first up is what's happening Wednesday evening, uh, February 21st, starting at 6.30 p.m. Tim Scott, the assistant superintendent of Devil's Den State Park, is partnering with the Shiloh Museum uh, to do an online Zoom presentation about the history of Devil's Den, which was created in the 30s. That's right. I thought you might be interested in this, and I wanted to pose a question to you. Uh, Give us one fact about Devil's Den that you think people don't know enough about? Um, <laughs> I don't know if this is a fact, but in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and I think into the 60s, it used to be a tradition for the park employees on Sunday afternoons to play softball games against the people who were staying there, these campers. Really? And it became a pretty intense sort of tradition. Wow. Yeah. That is interesting. You know, I mean, that's old school, right? We when you'd have sandlot games and yeah. you'd bring your bat and glove, maybe that doesn't happen anymore. But We need to bring it back. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next is Thursday on the 22nd, the, uh, momentary, they are having an event called Collide. It is basically a, 
the new uh, they're they're trying to put a new club up in the momentary, and so they'll have different DJs come come in starting at eight p.m. Um, they'll have DJ Alessandro, DJ Suzy Q, which I've heard Suzy Q, and she's great, uh, and DJ XA. I haven't heard of the the two other DJs, but mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear. It's only five bucks. Uh, and it's from 8 p.m. to midnight on Thursday. And then next is two things happening on Sunday that I think are pretty interesting. 2 to 4 p.m., the Fayetteville Library is hosting a screening of the Indie Lens pop-up film, Breaking the News. Breaking the News follows the launch of the 19th, a new startup. Uh, it's got three years' worth of footage wow. and documents. Uh, honest discussions about race, gender, a bunch right. of different things. So it sounds pretty interesting. I'm going to check it out. All right. That's Sunday afternoon at 2. Sunday afternoon at 2 at the Fayetteville Public Library. And then Sunday, uh, that same Sunday, 5 to eight, five p.m. to 8 p.m., Fossil Cove, uh, Fossil Cove Brewing is doing their second NWA through hikers meetup. Basically, if you've hiked over 100 plus miles or if you are interested in learning more about hiking, they'll have people there. It's just this place for, for hikers to come and have a drink and enjoy some good 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 time. And so uh, they're hoping to have a bunch of experienced hikers there to network and do meet and greets and all that good stuff. So, How can someone submit something? Again, easy. If you want to get on here, all you have to do is go to KUAF.com slash community calendar and submit your event. Um, it's a great way to get uh, your the details of your event out to the community, and it's a great great way for the community to see what's going on in the area. So these these things are just a few things that we mentioned that's happening um, um, in the area that week. From but Little Rock, this week, I'm Stephen it's, Cook. It's, it's a lot with more. Arkansas. So go ahead and check it out at kuaf.com/communitycalendar. Thank you, Jasper. Yep. Willie Big Eyes Smith was born in Helena in 1936. He learned harmonica in part by playing along with records. As a teenager, Smith saw a Muddy Waters performance in Chicago. Inspired in part by Muddy Waters as drummer Fred Below, also from Arkansas, Smith worked on his drumming skills. Ironically, Smith would later gain his greatest fame as a drummer in the Muddy Waters band. Not yet 20 years old, Smith formed a trio and began playing around Chicago in 1954. The following year, he performed on Bo Diddley's Diddy Wah Diddy and was asked to join Bo Diddley's band. Smith briefly formed his own band again and played harmonica for Arthur Big Boy Spires through the mid-1950s. In 1957, Smith returned to drumming for Little Hudson's Red Devil Trio. Soon Smith was offered a big promotion to join the Muddy Waters Band as understudy to Mojo Buford. During this time, Muddy Waters was riding high, rivaled in the blues world only by Arkansas-er Howlin' Wolf. What is that she got? Yeah, you know I wonder what is that she got? Yeah, you know I wanna what is that she got?
Smith replaced Buford in the studio and in his initial turn drummed with the Muddy Waters band until the end of the 1950s, including on Waters' tribute to blues vocalist Big Bill Brunsey, who grew up in Langsdale and Scott's Crossing. Smith later recorded with Jojo Williams, James Cotton, and would return to the Muddy Waters band in the 1960s and 1970s. Also during the 1960s, Willie Smith retired from music and worked in a restaurant and drew welfare. But he finally returned to his drummer stool in the band of Muddy Waters. Smith can also be seen in the 1980 movie The Blues Brothers as one of the street musicians backing John Lee Hooker. Heard here, extended footage was added in the DVD release. A similar scene where a musician leaves his restaurant gig to rejoin his own band also plays out in the movie. When I was a young boy At the age of five My mother said I'm gonna be The greatest man alive But now I'm a man Way past 21 I want to leave me woman I have lots of fun I'm a man. Smith co-founded the Grammy-winning legendary blues band with Pine Top Perkins, Louis Myers, Calvin Jones, and Jerry Portnoy. The group performed with Howlin' Wolf and Buddy Guy and toured with Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, and others. They also played behind Muddy Waters for the soundtrack of the movie The Last Waltz with fellow Phillips County native Levon Helm of the band. After decades in music, the album Bag Full of Blues marked Smith's solo debut and featured former fabulous Thunderbird Kim Wilson and old bandmate Pine Top Perkins on piano. Smith also writes and sings. Here in its entirety is 24 Hours by Muddy Waters from 1963 with Willie Big Eyes Smith of Helena on drums. Also featured are Willie Dixon on bass, Otis Spann on piano, and James Cotton on harmonica. Warm up from holding you here in my arms Oh, I missed my baby last night Warm up from holding you here in my arms Now you know she been gone 24 hours And that's 23 hours too long Oh, you know if I had a million dollars I would give every dime to bring her back home So sad to be alone 
Nah, I know she been gone just about 24 hours. And that's 23 hours too long. She looked just like a charm Hey, I love this woman This woman, this woman looked just like a charm Now you know she been gone only 24 hours hey. And that's 23 hours too long Twenty-four Hours by Muddy Waters from 1963 with Helena Bourne Willie, Big Eyes Smith on drums. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. Arkansongs is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas since 1998. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the growth of another public library in northwest Arkansas. We'll hear from Ann Gresham at the Springdale Public Library on tomorrow's show. Ozarks at Large is produced at the Carver Center for Public Radio at 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors today included Josh Marvin, Randy Dixon, Sophia Narani, Jasper Logan, and Stephen Cook. Takes a village. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Uh, slightly self-serving here because I'm going to mention an event that is somewhat organized by my wife, Lauren mm-hmm. Kellums. But yesterday's Soup Sunday in Rogers was fantastic. I think it was the biggest one yet. Lots of folks. Yeah, I, I think I saw over $200,000 was raised. Something like that, yeah. Not, not I'm not shabby. the money person. I was just a volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> How was the soup, most important? Very good. I didn't get to try them all. There were about 30 soups. But um, every soup I tried was really, really good. I think I heard on Randy Wilburn's podcast that they suggest going with like a muffin oh, tin. Oh, yeah, the, the veterans. You see the veterans, they go in with the muffin tins because they come in these little cups, right? Uh-huh. And then you just put them in, you go to your table, oh. and then you go back and get more cups. There are people who have been doing this for a couple of decades. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but it was a good time and saw a lot of a lot of great people. Yeah, and and saw uh, I saw on my uh, social media a lot of KUAF listeners show yes. up as well. So, yes, indeed. Great so. to see that support. And you can listen to our show tomorrow as well. I'm Kyle Gellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow. When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for more.